Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome back to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, uh, where we are making old school young again. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard. I am the R in OSR, and joining me this evening for the first Rollin' Bones of 2023 is a guy that several of you should already know and love. Uh, he is a fellow North Carolinian. He is a great dude. Uh, one of my compatriots over on... Uh, the Basic Experts Gilded Server, which is a fun time for anyone who's not a part of it. You guys should definitely come on over there. It's a it's a great environment. Uh, but let's not bury the lead here. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Rolling Bones for the first time, Legacy Game Mastering. Yo, people. Even though I know most of you, because several of you stalk my channel too, and it's great. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well... As is tradition here on Rolling Bones, I've got a couple questions that everyone gets asked when they come on for the first time. Uh, so let's begin at the beginning here. How did you get into role-playing games? Surprisingly enough, I had a neighbor when I was real small uh, whose brother played them, saw the books, and... Uh, we basically pestered him until he ran us in a small game that he purposely tried to make me hate because he didn't think I should like role-playing games because he didn't like me all that much. Whatever. And I, the reverse effect happened. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with them. And the whole idea of it and the... I love them, clunky math and rocks and everything else. And of course, this is back in 2nd uh, edition. So this is even like harder to get into than, you know, easy mode D&D. &D. Mm-hmm. So I just had a lot of fun, played a ranger, played an elvish ranger, or half-elf ranger that was really, really fun. Just And honestly, it was just kind of like a ac happy accident thing. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting when uh, tactics like that backfire on certain GMs. I feel like that's kind of a, a, a classic older brother move. Where you're just like, here, you get to be the cleric, or you get to be the torchbearer, or, you know, we're just going to... You're essentially going to be the party punching bag, and then in spite of all that, you still get into role playing games. That's that is a uh, a classic origin story of uh, of role playing fandom. I think for a lot uh, of people. Mike, Michael would have been about fifteen at the time. I would have been nine. So <laughs> that's been thirty years ago. Gotcha. So uh, there's one more question I'm going to ask before we get into tonight's topic, and then. There's a third question that I will save for the end of the show. Uh, but the next question that I want to ask you here is, what's your fondest memory of playing role-playing games? Uh, that's a tough one because I have several. 
I have several memories of things that could only happen in RPGs. Mm-hmm. Um, as a DM, my crowning achievement follows the line, so I sap him with the dildo. <laughs> um, we were playing a game of Mage the Ascension, mm-hmm. and they had got they'd gone through a temporal event, and uh, there's a demon possessing a porn store owner. So they're trying to kidnap him and purge the demon. And so one guy's talking to him. The other walks up behind him with a big black dildo and stabs him. <laughs> Leads to that story. Uh, I mean, some of the things you just, you, you wouldn't believe. I, same game. Uh, the line, this is worse than your race war idea. <laughs> <laughs> like some of the things we have. Uh, I have a lot of good memories around tables, so it's hard to pick a favorite for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I almost killed. I killed an entire room at a convention. Four tables. We're playing, and uh, my character sneaks off with the elf chick, with the elf princess, and the GM goes, "We're playing epic." Mm-hmm. And the GM goes, "Roll your stamina." I look down at my sheet. Kid, you not I have climbing as a specialty? I go, "Hey, I'm like, hey, I got climbing as a specialty. Does that count?" Four tables staring, dumbfounded for about four seconds. We all bust out laughing. <laughs> uh, Greg didn't know where to go with that. <laughs> uh, so I've like I said, got tons of them like that. Just really weird, stupid things, and then lots of lots of just good memories. I've tried to stampede a, an entire herd of bullets into a half moon village before. <laughs> I uh, I did stampede a bunch of camels into a uh, camp of cat people. Nice. That was pretty interesting. They deserved it. I'm sure. Uh, well, so we sent one of our guys ahead to in this game. We sent one of our guys ahead. He's uh, he's negotiating. My guy is this horseback riding uh, lunatic. Basically, he's a uh, he's basically a Cossack. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get impatient. I'm like, this is taking too long. So I stampede our camels that we've been riding into the camp while riding behind them on my war horse shooting arrows at the enemy <laughs> it's nice. screaming so in the camp this guy's negotiating he's really close to getting a peaceful settlement and all of a sudden all they hear is this crazy cossack screaming threats in, in the cossack language and shooting people on the wall nice <laughs> while while a herd of camels come breaking through their gate <laughs> oops yep <laughs> so not everything I've done has been around sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so the the main topic that I wanted to talk with you about, uh, you made this video, God, I feel like this was seven months ago or something like that. You made a video about wow. the term RPG community. Yep. And just to preface this for everyone, first of all, you should watch his video over on his YouTube channel, Legacy Game Mastering. But you essentially laid out all of the problems with that term. And I've before I watched your video, I always had kind of an issue with that term. I felt like it was lumping me in with people I didn't want to be lumped in with. And also lumping me in with people who didn't want to be lumped in with me. So, to to begin this topic here, just kind of tell everyone your overview thoughts on 
that term and what the problem with it is. So first off, a lot of where I come from comes from a lot of like very conservative people. You know, you got not so conservative people. Jordan Peterson has made good points about community being used as a weapon. Ben Shapiro, you know, Stephen Crowder, all those guys have all tried to talk about how they, they everything has to be a community. Mm-hmm. And then you got people like Gary from Neurotic talk about it and people like that. So you, you can take the great thinkers with the guys that are just kind of down to earth, mix them. And what community has become is a, a buzzword to control people. Because if you're a community, you have to care about each other, you have to respect each other, you have to uh, look out for each other. And then what you do is, what has happened is that word, intrinsically, a community is a group of people that share values and principles and common interest. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about D&D being a community, the only thing that it fits, form fits, is that it has a common interest. So it's not really a community. Yeah. It doesn't have common values. It doesn't have common principles mm-hmm. because a lot of the, of the weirdo class does not uh, – doesn't believe like what, say, I do politically or socially. Right. So when I'm being told I'm a part of a community with a bunch of people who are diametrically opposed to me, I'm not part of a community with those people right? because I don't share anything with them. Yeah. I don't have anything to share with them. Yeah, and, and far too often – just to, to go off of what you said there, far too often these people who want to claim that we're in a community, all they want to do is come in and make demands. They don't, they, there's no give on their part. It's all take. It's all, we are, you know, we want you to welcome us into this thing that you have loved for, for so many years, uh, but we don't like anything about it. We want to completely change almost everything uh, pretty much except for the name, and even the name we're going to uh, negotiate with you on if we can change that. And if you don't let us do all of this and completely overtake everything that you love and change it and turn it inside out and break it, uh, you are a terrible person. And like you said, one of the biggest things that actually makes a community is the sharing of values. And it's clear from the get-go with the the people who actually want to use that term community and want to abuse that term they don't share values with anyone they want us to share their values and by that i mean they want to impose their values but it's not it's not the kind of voluntarist uh and i come at the the term community from like a, a hans Hermann hoppe angle is that's really like where my head is at as far as community goes these people want to come in and take over your community and you know they they want you dead but they'll settle for your submission in a lot of in a lot of cases so and when you look at communities even in a diameter in a in a grand scale take a community like the jewish community in a place like miami mm-hmm it's orthodox, it has orthodox values for the most part. There's not a lot of Reformed Jews down there. There's a lot of Orthodox Jews. Mm-hmm. They go to the same temples. They go to the same brises. They go to the same, you know, all the same events. They share the same values about life, you know, how to live it and all that. So anywhere you go, that's how a community forms. Yeah. That's why certain cities, like if you talk about certain cities, whether we agree with them or not, Portland has coalesced around the progressive values of the people who live there. Mm-hmm. We don't have to like it. 
but that's what they've done. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it can even have bad effects on the people there. But as long as they're happy with it, we don't have any say over it because mm-hmm. it's not our community. Right. And that's really what this kind of boils down to is that they've taken a hobby and they've tried to turn it into a community where then they march in. And it's really, what do you mean you don't agree with X? You have to agree with X. No, I don't because my moral values say that X is wrong. Mm-hmm. Or my view on Y is that it's you know morally repugnant. Yeah. Uh, we actually just had this happen in town. We had a bunch of stores go out after uh, Roe was overturned and start promising to give a bunch of money and stuff to pro-abortion uh, groups. Mm-hmm. I don't give a damn what your stance on pro-abortion is. You sell me funny little plastic people. I don't care what you think about abortion. Leave right. it at the door. Yeah. Because you're not really here to form a community. Mm-hmm. But then you start thinking about it. They are part of the community. They represent the community that they're part of. Mm-hmm. And in Asheville, that is leftism. Yeah, big time. And horribly so. Mm-hmm. Thank God I don't actually live in Asheville. Thank God I live north of it. I can go to Asheville and look at all the mutants and come home. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, most people feel that way. But uh, but it's just like you know, you gotta like. That's why I'm not part of a greater community mm-hmm. because. There are plenty of people who are going to disagree with me what I just said. Yeah. That businesses should just do business and not try to do politics. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're entitled to that belief. I completely think you're wrong, but whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, which I know we we joked about, you know, uh, we talked our lungs out over the last week about Troll Lord. It's exactly what Troll Lord did, and Troll Lord's going to win the day because of it. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, Troll Lord drew a line in the sand saying, you know, essentially our our tribe is people who want to game. Our creed is it's all about the game, and that's what we're going to stand by. And we'll we'll come back to that because there, there's a lot to talk about around that. Um, but one thing, I, for a while I very much rejected the notion, especially after I watched your video, I rejected the notion of an RPG community and I started purging that phrase from my vocabulary. But over yep. time, I, I've kind of come around to this idea that there actually is an RPG community. There's several. And the, yep. the first one that I want to talk about is the most obvious one, and that's the RPG community that forms around your table. That yep. is the true RPG community. And I think I discussed that in the video, if I remember right, that the community is all local. Mm. It, it's... You have a community around your table, then you have a co- little bit of a bigger community in the area you're in. Mm-hmm. But there's no – the way that these people use community is they're talking about a global community of millions of people, and that's uh, not how it works. Right. You know, you're right. There is an ecosystem where you, you do have a community around your table. Mm-hmm. Those are people that – but again, if you look at the community around the table, they're typical people that share values, some values with you at some point, even if they're mm-hmm. not all your values. They share principles with you. They share interest with you. So if they, you share those three things, it's easy to form that community around your table. Yeah. And and once you form a community around your table, that community typically grows into every table I know that's been running for a long time. You get people that you, you get to know their extended families. You get to know their wives, their kids, whatever mm-hmm. as well. So it actually grows out into a pretty healthy little slice of a community of its own. 
because I, I know very few gaming groups that have been together a long time that don't do a lot of stuff together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just anecdotally, my first RPG group, uh, all of them were at my wedding and two of them were in it. So that's, yeah, that's how much of a community that you can form around a table. But for people out there who are trying to find a sense of community in role-playing, uh, I, I want to give a little bit of advice to people who want to you know build this communal aspect of RPGs at their table, and that is you need to organize your table around a handful of things. First and foremost is that the game is above everything else when it's game time. I think that's the single most important thing that you can put forward as this is our creed, this is our rallying cry. When we're gaming, we're gaming. I think that's the first thing you need to establish to have a strong table community. Uh, no, I, I agree 100%. If, uh, if you look at why most games only last six sessions at, for the weirdo class, they're all mm. like, oh, war game lasted four sessions. You know why? Because I guarantee in that four sessions, it was nothing but you bitching, moaning, complaining, whining, otherwise whinging your little hearts out about how the society that you were playing in was unfair and there were marginalized people and all this other stupid shit that you complain about all the time. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, and then that, yeah. I mean, that naturally leads into kind of the second thing. Uh, your game needs to be an escape from reality. It needs to provide people with a place to kind of take shelter from the the things that they deal with on a daily basis. If your game is constantly referencing the outside world and constantly kind of just reopening those wounds, what you're going to do is, you know, inevitably there's going to be people with disagreements at your table as far as how the world should be run or how things should be. Uh, you know, politics, morals, religion, whatever it is, there's going to be some disagreement. And if your game is constantly bringing up the real world issues that everyone is disagreeing on, then you're going to bring those disagreements to the forefront and you're going to rip your table apart. It, that's a big thing, too. Like, it's okay to handle deep, like, abiding issues yeah. in your game. Especially if you're running a game that revolves around, think like, Cult or unknown armies, but how you handle them matters. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, I, I'm a I'm a huge uh, advocate against trigger warnings, but I'm telling you, man, the trigger warning in Unknown Armies Three is one of the most gloriously written things I've ever read. <laughs> the dude lays it out there that's basically like, look, you come to this table, you sit at this table, you know what you're getting ready to get yourself into. When you read this book, you know what it's about, and you agree to play. And then if you're the GM and you know what's happening, you know what's getting ready to come down, and somebody says, hey, that makes me really uncomfortable and your decision is to go ahead and give them more of it, you're a fucking weirdo and you need help. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then, uh, that applies to anything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the third thing, this is the last thing to mention as far as like building that local community. The third thing I think you need is you need to establish... Uh, kind of your own localized Overton window of what's acceptable in, uh, you know, your at your gaming table as far as we like to play these kinds of games, be they, you know, crunchy games or OSR games, or, you know, fantasy games, 
whatever range, you know, we play from this to this. And occasionally we might see what's on the other side, but for the most part, we're going to find ourselves in, in this range here. We like to play this kind of style of game that ranges from, I don't know, like high fantasy to, you know, super dark, historical, accurate, low fantasy. You need to find out where everyone's comfortable playing, and then you need to stick to that as often as everyone is, you know, still having fun. Because if that, you're trying... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. Finish up. You were in the middle of your thought. Oh, just... It, I am the biggest advocate of trying new games that you can find out there, but if you're constantly, you know, just saying, hey, let's try this, let's try this, every, you know, few sessions, you feel like you're getting bored with the games you're playing, you're doing a disservice to your table, and once again, you're going to cause people to lose interest. So establish your kind of framing of this is, you know, these are the kinds of games that we like to play here, uh, we'll, you know, we'll give anything a try once, but, you know, for the most part, you gotta, you gotta stick within, in the box here. Yeah. Well, and that's a big thing too, is like, cause you get people who think that, um, it, you know, oh, my players will play anything. Uh, no, they won't. Cause I promise you, you can run games that players will be very uncomfortable with. Um, you, you want to know how you, you want to talk about a hot button that can make players not comfortable with the game real fast? Mention sexual assault in the game. Mm. You don't even have to describe it or anything else. It could be a background noise level event to a game, and you will make players uncomfortable. Yeah. Most players uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Because it's a serious thing that's a real-world event that's awful and predatory and terrible. Yeah. And people aren't comfortable talking about it. Mm -hmm. that, that's that's why like I don't understand people that are like oh I don't ever have rape in my games okay cool most of us don't doesn't mean there's not weirdos out there that don't get off on it mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah and I get like it, it all depends on the the table that you're playing and you want to make sure everyone's you know kind of on board with the tone of the kind of games you run I mean like I I typically run what I would call a soft R-rated game. I don't get into a lot of nitty-gritty, grimy, horrible details about specific things that are happening to you when you're being tortured or, you know, like you mentioned, uh, sexual assault. I don't play around with that at all. But my games have adult content in them to a certain degree because I feel like you know, I my influence is sword and sorcery. My influence is Fafrin the Grey Mouser and Conan and, you know, stuff like that. So there's going to be some, you know, things that are difficult to deal with in that parameter. But there's a boundary that I won't go beyond. And once you know that and once you know kind of where your players are comfortable, that's, you know, that's the sweet spot you need to stay in. And honestly, I, I think stuff like safety tools are a horrible way to gauge that. Safety tools are, that's another thing that people have gotten mad at me about. Safety mm -hmm. tools are not safety tools. They're control tools. Right. They're designed to control the table to the preferences of the most vocal minority. Mm -hmm. 
I mean that in a literal sense because most vocal minority is one person. Yeah. And you're just like, people are like, well, they keep people from being offended at the table. Dude, I've done things in my tables that absolutely or had things happen in my tables that you would not believe are terrible ideas, terrible people. Of course, I game with some people that also know I'm not always the greatest person, so mm-hmm. we all laugh and have fun with some of the terrible things that happen at the yeah. table. <laughs> but terrible things that get said at the table. I, I mean, I've got friends that have made graphic, graphically disgusting jokes about gay sex at tables. Because mm-hmm. they're gay. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a little more than I ever need to hear from you again. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you got to you have to cut off certain avenues. Mm-hmm. That's what I talked a lot. I was talking a lot about in my engaging the unexpected video, which turned out to be way longer than it meant for it to be. But was the idea that sometimes things come up at the table, even not in game, that you have to handle because they make people really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you do need to address the loudest minority because if you have one person at the table that's really uncomfortable though about something that's serious. It can completely destroy the table. Yeah. It can. So you got to be careful. You got to kind of walk a tightrope between understanding when it's a legitimate issue mm-hmm. and when it's, oh my God, orcs are black people. Yeah. yeah and <laughs> you know? Vic here in chat uh, says safety tools make me feel unsafe. Players don't just get to be the boss of me. Um, I, I agree. And, and that's my big problem with the concept of. X cards and lines and veils and, you know, checklists and stuff like that. The best way to not upset your players and not make them feel uncomfortable is to approach them as people, get to know them as people, have conversations with them, you know, essentially, you know, be social. All that these safety tools are doing is giving people lists of demands you're coming to the first session of your game with a list of demands for what could be a perfect stranger. And that is no way to begin a relationship with someone. And and people, I've had this conversation with people before and they say, well, what you're advocating for is a type of safety tool. No, you know what I'm talking about. You You know what I'm opposed to here. I'm opposed to making demands. What I'm not opposed to is getting to know the people that you're gaming with and, you know, knowing essentially, like, what's the line with these people? Because that's just not to, you know, use one of the Sparkle Trolls lines, but that's just being a decent person. You know, getting to know someone who is gaming with you on a regular basis, that's that's what you should be doing. And it shouldn't be done through a list of demands. Well, one of the things that I tell people all the time, though, is make sure you set expectations. Yeah. Set expectations for your table. If you're going to run a game, especially, again, go back to darker, more mature-themed games. Get Say I'm running Unknown Armies. I'm going to set expectations before you sit down at the table. Yeah. Uh, hmm. You know, you're you're going to know kind of what to expect before you start playing with me. Yeah. And if you still choose to play with me, there, it's still fine to come to me later and say, okay, I'm a little uncomfortable with you know, something that's going on in the game, whatever, and we can discuss that. Mm-hmm. But don't walk up to me, session one, and go, well, I'm not going to play if all of this is... No, screw you people. Right. Yeah, and that's one of the things... Uh, 
like with Dark Sun. I love running Dark Sun. For people who don't know what Dark Sun is, I give them an explanation. But for, you know, people who have been around gaming for a while, all you have to say is we're playing Dark Sun and the expectation is there in your mind. Oh, yeah, it's going to be brutal and there's going to be a lot of slavery and things are going to get kind of nasty. And heroism is not exactly what heroism usually is here. So it's it's well, good my... to it, it's absolutely a good thing to tell your players what they're in for. Uh, in whatever way you want to do that, but, you know, let people know what, what they're about to get themselves into. And that's why I start all of my campaigns with, like, a five-page pitch doc, basically. I'm just like, here's the basic hook that you guys are coming into, here's a little bit of background on the setting that everyone's gonna know, and, yeah, th this should tell you everything you need to know before we start rolling up characters. All I have to say to that is my cannibal Sionis' thief is coming after you. <laughs> he might eat you in your sleep. Who knows? Absolutely. I love Absolutely. cannibal halflings. Cannibal halflings are the best. Cannibal halflings are amazing. They're, seriously, they're, it's a shame that there's not a single person that works for Wizards of the Coast who could do Dark Sun justice because you've got... Desert Mantis men, you've got cannibal halflings, you have a psionic dragon. There's all kinds of just cool stuff that people are missing out on in Dark Sun because the the soft brains at Watsi just don't know how to deal with it. Well, also the the idea that men can become gods, but when they become gods they become dragon kings. Yeah. Yeah, the dragon and sorcerer kings, and oh yeah, there's a lot to Dark Sun to unpack. Mm -hmm. uh, I've actually got the prison pentod sitting around, and Troy Denning is still, God, they meant you be a national treasure. Oh yeah. Yeah. I haven't read, I, I've only read his Dark Sun stuff, I haven't read like any of the Halo stuff that he's done, but yeah, he's he's done some great work. He did great work for uh, Star Wars, especially the Yuuzhan Vong. Mm-hmm. I'm probably one of the few people you'll meet that's actually read that whole series. Yep. I think most people just said nope when uh, they dropped a moon on Chewbacca, but... Pretty much. <laughs> it gets worse. When Anakin Solo dies, it's worse. Yep. That's a more depressing scene. Mm -hmm. He gets a more heroic death, though. Chewie just gets a moon dropped on him. Yep. Okay, cat. Seriously. <laughs> we have our first kitty sighting, everyone. I got two. I've got three of them within three feet of me, four mm. feet of me. Pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, just talking about that. Uh, this is completely apropos of nothing and kind of out of the blue. I'm going to say something that is maybe a little bit controversial, but this has been bothering me uh, for weeks now because my wife and I listened to uh, the Crystal Shard on the way to Charlotte for Christmas. And, who oh boy, I'm just going to throw this out here. R.A. Salvatore is not as good a writer as people think he is. Passable. And that's what matters. Yeah. He was passable until he sold out and wrote Starlight Enclave and completely wrecked his entire fucking funny edge of books. Mm -hmm. He's an idiot. That's what he is. 
when I read, and I enjoyed the Crystal Shard the first time I read it, I enjoyed uh, the, the like, Dritz Origin trilogy. I can't remember what exactly. I think it's the Dark Elf trilogy is what it's called. Uh, you got Homeland Exile Sojourn. Yeah. I enjoyed those three books. I've enjoyed, I enjoyed the Crystal Shard the first time I read it. Um, it was when I was reading Streams of Silver, I was like, this isn't really working for me. And then I went back and read the Crystal Shard again, and I was just like, yeah, this really isn't working for me. It's also hard to judge him on the first book he ever wrote. Yeah, that's true. He he does get better but, as a writer, but the, and and part of it, when you read those books, it's almost like there's an obligation to make it feel like a game of D&D come to life. Yeah. So there's an element of this is not really a fantasy novel. This is almost like a tr- a novelization or a transcription of a D&D game. I mean, if we're going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole, there's tons of great authors out there that wrote D&D books that are not Salvatore that are probably... Quality-wise, probably a lot better than him. Richard Knack. Mm-hmm. Weiss and Hickman are better writers than he is. Uh, you know, there's tons of them out there. People, a lot of people that wrote Dragonlance are really good. But then yeah. you had a lot of, you know, Ed Greenwood. Ed Greenwood's problem is Ed Greenwood gets a really good start. He has a middle third or so that makes you want to gouge your eyeballs out. <laughs> and then he has his end third is always pretty good. Yeah. But his middle thirds are like slogging through tar. If you never read an Ed Greenwood book, hmm. he writes really good opens and closings, but he's really terrible at the uh, padding. Yep, or trying to to resolve, but which is fine. I mean, he's still not a terrible author. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think Crafty but, makes a good point in here. Uh, R. A. Salvatore is a D and D writer, not an author. Yeah. yeah. But like I said, be careful about blaming people for the first books because if you want to go back and look at first books that were terrible, I mean, honestly, Stormfront in the grand scheme of Jim Butcher's work, yeah, it's awful compared to uh, Battleground. This might this is kind of a less controversial controversial opinion. I think Stormfront is just fine, but Full Moon is nigh unreadable. Which is funny because it's one of my favorite ones. I am so sorry. <laughs> I love the storyline in it. Actually, like the whole storyline behind Full Moon, and the way Carmichael fucking gives up—he dies to save everybody. Yada yada mm. yada. There's a lot of good parts of Full Moon. I I like Carmichael's sacrifice. I like the the general concept. I mm-hmm. really don't like the fact that Murphy basically turns on him as fast as she does. Yeah, that does bother me a little bit. I'm not going to run the latest book, but uh, only two books in the series made me want to go use the book to beat Jim Butcher, and Battleground was one of them. Yeah. The other was Changes. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. Um, <laughs> I might add Ghost Story in there, too, but Ghost Story didn't make me so much want to beat him with the book as much as it made me want to go, come on, why are we doing this? Yeah, the, yeah, the, the whole premise of Ghost Story is weird, but... Mm-hmm. I am looking forward to the next one. Uh, it, it, it looks like he's gearing up for the final end of that series, and he said he only wants to write 20 books in it. He's already at 17, so... Yep. I think... We'll see what happens. 
and now we're off on a weird Dresden Files tangent. Um, but he said, I, I believe he said that Changes was supposed to be the 10th book. And I think Changes is like the 12th book. Yeah, so, something like that. It's 11 to 12. So I think there's going to be, if not a perfect 20, like a 22 or 23 books. Because the last three books are going to be like the, the end in-game trilogy there. Um, yep. But I think I, I think it's going to end up being more than 20 books. Yep, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I, I'm really, I love those books. Uh, you know what? Victor says he wants bad books. Read Monster Hunter International. Go to hell, Victor. Korea <laughs> <laughs> is a perfectly fine writer. Oh, I, He's never I, done anything wrong. I think Victor is just messing with us because I know he is a Monster Hunter International fan too. Yeah. Yes, he is. I love MHI. So. MHI is fantastic. I love it. I've got the uh, Savage Worlds uh, book and I have a printout of the uh, MHI for uh, Hero 5th. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but th- there's a lot of good authors out there that are not Ari Salvatore. Right. Um, and we mentioned Troy Denning. There, there's a lot of people that have written for them over the years that are just good authors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but there's nothing. There's nothing controversial. Like Salvatore is one of those authors. You either really love him or you really don't. And mm-hmm. there's not a lot of people that are milk toast in between on him. So. I'm used to hearing people like, I can't believe you like the Dreads books. I'm like, I didn't say they were the best books in the world. I said that mm. I enjoy reading them. I, I do think I, I fall like, kind of where Crafty is that the books are fine. They're not objectionable. Um, I I just feel like when I first started playing D&D, everyone was like, oh, you need to read R.A. Salvatore. You, like, this is absolutely essential reading you know th- this book will change your life and i was just like all right let's see what this is about and i was just like it's fun the action sequences are well crafted mm-hmm. yeah there there is a premise here that could be further fleshed out by i guess either a more talented or a differently talented writer and i think i still stand by what i said uh, a few episodes ago that the Icewind Dale trilogy would make for a good trilogy of movies. It would. But you would but need not- someone, again, to like kind of flesh things out a little bit more to make that work. Yeah, well, I'm... That I absolutely have just gotten to the point where... Uh, gotten to the point where... You know... I've lost all interest in most D&D novels at yeah. this point. Like, I don't even want to read the new Margaret Weiss, Tracy Hickman, Dragonlance novels, not because I think they're bad, just because I just don't trust wizards. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that they had to sue to get them published in the first place is ludicrous. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, but, uh, you know, that that's that's a whole different argument, a whole different subject matter. Mm-hmm. Now, something I do want to talk about uh, while we're on here, uh, you mentioned yep. it earlier, but the Troll Lord Games situation. Um, to, to paraphrase the Incredible Hulk here, I see this as an absolute win. Uh, th- this is a uh, this is a good thing that uh, that Troll Lord Games did, and I, 
honestly, I, I'm looking forward to more companies doing this. I'm hoping that several other companies in the same position as Troll Lord will make similar statements. Well, if you watched the reaction, several companies did. They were smaller, but they were they were out there doing it, mm-hmm. which was good. Real, real quick before we jump too far down that, because Matt asked a question. Yeah, that's actually really smart. Mm-hmm. I, I missed it. I missed. It. I don't know if he, when if you missed it there. Talk he about just started, put it in there. So yeah, yeah, we can... so, yeah. Just real quick, just uh, how do you how would you foster a local community versus buying in the Twitter one? And you, you got to look into finding people that agree with you uh, on the types of games you want to play, the types of people you want to be around, and the type of fun that you're actually looking for. Yeah. Because, like, Twitter's not going to give that to you. Mm-hmm. Twitter is really just an echo chamber for weirdos. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got to hold a hardline stance. Like, uh, like we were saying, you know, about exploring, you know, expectations and things like that for players you know know what kind of games they want to play know what kind of stuff they don't like understand them as people and treat them like people and you're going to have a great community and you're going to grow that community exponentially if available because the majority of gamers are looking you know yeah there you go (laughs) You talk about that started with Five E, expanded all sorts of other games at the D and D club. There you go. That that's how you do it. Yep. You you get to know the people. You find out that hey, we really want this kind of darker fantasy sword and sorcery game. Hey, why don't we try Conan? Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's, that's actually something that uh, what Crafty mentions there. He's talking about Orcus Dorcas. Um, I, I'd actually like to bring Orcus Dorcas on the show to talk about that at some point. Uh, I, I should reach out to him about that. But for for my take on this, um, I think RPG Elite takes a very... You know, his approach to this, I think, is the best approach where you have to seriously vet who is coming to your table. And I'm not saying, like, completely shut down, you know, no one who believes X, Y, or Z is allowed at my table. But you need to know that even if these people disagree with you on certain issues, everyone is there to play the game. You know, for three hours, four hours, six hours, uh, 24 hours, if your name is Max Liao, uh, everyone's just going to be focused on the game for the entire uh, the entire time that you're around the table. And the best way to do that is, you know, to, to get to know these people and to you know, ha- just have a conversation with them and have a conversation with everyone together, you know, just like hanging out, drinking beers, eating, eating wings, you know, watching a movie, whatever it is, you know, just get to know who you're about to invite into your house. And at that point, you'll you'll know pretty quickly whether or not this is a community that's going to be viable. And then don't let, uh, don't settle for anything less than a perfectly viable community, I would say is the other part of that. Yeah, and that's really, that's the best reason I can get for not just giving into the Twitterverse communities is the fact that they're not real. They're made up of people that always agree with each other. 
look at how they talk to each other and how they communicate. And com- that's another thing with community. Real communities do have divides. Yeah. Even though they share a lot of things in common. Mm-hmm. But what uh, real communities uh, that build on themselves do is they use what's in common to overcome what's dividing them. Uh, whether it be religion, whether it be politics, whatever. Mm-hmm. In the case of a D&D uh, hobby, hobbyist group, it would be their love of tabletop roleplay. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, uh, you know, Victor brings up a good point here. Uh, I did mention that there are a couple types of community that are that I think are valid as far as an RPG community goes, but uh, the example of the Gilded server, uh, whether it's the basic experts, which a whole bunch of us that are on here now are, are part of that server, or, you know, something like Legion of Myths Discord, uh, these kind of small communities that we form online with people who share those values. We don't have the proximity of people gaming at a table, but we do have the shared values and the shared desire to, you know, see good things for this hobby. And a lot of times we share the same games that we like. That is a type of community that I think, you know, should be cherished and fostered as much as possible, because even though we can't all physically be in the same space, as much as I would love to like put together a murderer's row of uh, players for my Night Haven game, just like picking people out of the out of the basic expert uh, gilded server. Uh, I can't because I like to game in person, but I love having everyone around that I can talk to, uh, you know, about various things, be they, uh, you know, my, my crazy off the wall conspiracy theories that I that I get into sometimes or, uh, you know, whether or not uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics is gonzo uh just you know pick a topic and we can have a good discussion about it that's something that's also very community driven and very valuable for those of us who are into these things yeah i i love the gilded server i've had a lot of fun on there lots of good conversations lots of really stupid ones too because i never imagined us having two days out of four that we're going to be talking about mayonnaise (laughs) oh god that's my fault (laughs) Yeah, well, take your blame. I yeah, un- unfortunately in in John's gilded server, I'm now known for two things. I I'm known for uh bringing up the Kennedy assassination more often than I should and mayonnaise. Cuz I jokingly took a very hard line on what brand of mayonnaise I prefer and uh thought in in the gilded server shared my opinion and so we've kind of formed like almost a mayonnaise confederacy of sorts because every time we talk about duke's mayonnaise inevitably it comes back to thoth like i don't know posting something about the confederacy so (laughs) i just stay out of the whole mess because i hate mayonnaise so fair enough uh but anyways, if you want to, let's switch back over to Troll Lord. I just saw yeah. that question from Crafty. That was actually a good question. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that we definitely should have talked about. So, Crafty, thank you for uh, for prompting that. But yeah, this uh, Troll Lord situation, the amount of people who 
essentially blew up as far as, uh, you know, just getting mad at Trollord Games for saying, all we want to talk about is gaming was astounding to me. I didn't, like, I'm not surprised. It's just one of those things like, man, there are so many people out there that are just terminally political. Yep. Well, and that goes into the idea, too, that you can't you can't form a community with people that can't turn off certain things. You can't do it. Like, like by the end of June, July of 2022, I was ready for somebody to kneecap me so I had something to worry about that wasn't politics. Mm-hmm. Because you couldn't escape it. It was everywhere. I mean, they were running... They were on ads on freaking Spotify podcasts, for God's sake. Yeah. Yeah. It... Uh, and as a registered independent in the state, or non-affiliated, we don't have independents here. <laughs> uh, I got every mailer. Yeah. Ugh. Can't tell you how much trash I generated. Yeah, it's... I mean... It's Antonio Gramsci is what it is. And I don't want to get, like, philosophical, but this is exactly what Antonio Gramsci wanted and what he advocated for. It's this idea that you cannot escape from the political ethos anywhere you go. It's it's this, like, candy coating that now covers everything. Just this idea that everything has to say something about whatever, you know, the issues of the day are. And it really, at first I was like, I'm going to, you know, stand up for what I believe in as far you know, I'm going to push, I'm going to push back with my political beliefs uh, against what I'm hearing here. But at this point, I don't, I don't want my political beliefs in D&D any more than I want theirs. I, you know, I don't care if role-playing games are all about Rothbardian anarchy I don't care. I just want to. I just want to kill some orcs. Yeah, I'm right behind you, man. I, I I spent too long trying to be too political, and now I've actually really just like my Facebook wall. Now all I use it for is cat photos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I got tired of fighting with people all the freaking time. Yeah. Uh, nothing ever gets resolved by online arguments, no matter how hard you try. Mm-hmm. You just don't. Hey, can you give me just a second, Ryan? I've got to hit the restroom real quick. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sorry about that, dude. Oh, don't worry about it. Been drink- One of the downsides of getting over the flu is you drink enough fluids to flood an elephant. Yeah, absolutely you do. <laughs> but yeah, that's... Yeah, that's... This is an issue that, at this point, I'm just done. Like, I, I'm... Almost to the point of unironically wanting Cthulhu to be the president just so he can burn it all down. I don't know. I don't know. But no, it, while we're waiting on uh, while we're waiting on Kyle to come back, I, I do want to shout out some of the people uh, who are new here, uh, who join us for the first time. Uh, specifically, Shadow and Son. Uh, you know, I, I've actually, since seeing you on Legion of Myth, I've been wanting to like have a conversation with you. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that you're here. It's, it's cool, uh, to see you 
Got a couple other new people here. Green Apple, I don't believe I've ever seen you around here. So unless you're someone else under a different username, welcome. Uh, Sir Coffee as well. Don't believe I've seen your face around here. And then, of course, you know, our usual uh, crew of Crafty Matt, Cal, Victor. I love it when you guys are all here. So, yeah. But, yeah, I, Cal, I mean, yes, brains need tentacle scrapings. Yes, absolutely. Agreed. 100%. Whatever, whatever political alignment that is, that's me. You can sign me up for that. Because God, at this point... That a political alignment is Cthulhu neutral. Yep, absolutely. Cthulhu neutral. Cthonianism. There we go. There you go. <laughs> fatong, fatong. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> that's exactly what it is. There we go. Sorry about that, dude. I said I've been drinking enough fluids today. I think I've gone through... Like three cups of orange juice, three or four sodas. I rarely drink that much. All good. All good. My bodies. But anyways, yeah, I I actually am not disagreeing with that at all. I think that Droll Lord though handled it spectacularly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say yeah, I don't know how much you've ever seen of the Chenault brothers in interviews and stuff, but they're like super awesome people. Uh, the the brothers that mm. run Troll Lord. Yeah. So yeah, if you've never seen those guys in interviews and stuff, I really encourage people to actually go. You know, check them out as people because they're actually mind blowingly good dudes, mm. uh -huh. which makes this whole kerfluffle really stupid because they picked a fight with two of the nicest people they could. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in a way, it's almost like picking a fight with the Hickmans. It's a it's a similar type situation. Again, two of the like nicest people in gaming, uh, never say anything controversial, do great work. You know, th there are certain people that you know, no matter what you believe, you know we we should value the creators who create the best things in this hobby. We should value the people who make these kind of evergreen games like castles and crusades that, you know, just objectively are fantastic. You know, it's a, they're great books. Uh, they're beautifully packaged. It's, you know, a, a great system to run. Um, yeah, it, it it's fantastic, you know, and, and we shouldn't be yelling at these people to believe what we believe. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it, it is. It's like I said, you know, that's the real problem, too, is it goes back to something that we were talking about before we started. You know, these people are overplaying their hand and part of overplaying their hand is attacking good people. Yeah. Like, it's one thing if you go out after somebody who isn't known to be the best person. Uh, so someone like... Uh, What's his name from Lamentations that had all those stupid uh, accusations because I just lost his name in my head. Zach. Zach Sabbath. Zach S. Yeah, Zach S. Because Zach S is not known to be the nicest person. He's not known to be this great like paragon of humanity or anything. So people started just hating him. And it was easy to be like, oh, look at him. He's a bad person. And he's probably 
I don't know how much to believe about some of the things that have been said about him, not just about the accusations that were levied on him, but some of the other things that have been said about him, about mm-hmm. how he acts around people and his attitude and things like that. I So I'm not going to speculate that, but people built this kind of edifice around him that he wasn't a good person so that it was easy to believe that he was a really, really bad person. Mm-hmm. It's a lot different when you're attacking Stephen Chenault, who is like one of the most down to earth. Like, he doesn't post anything controversial. He doesn't attack people. He doesn't cuss people out. He doesn't go to conventions and start fights. He doesn't do any of that. Right. He just is. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. He's not like Avenger type person who's picking fights. Avenger, I love you, but you you know what you're doing. And he he does know what he's doing. (laughs) But. Oh, he definitely does. Yeah. But that like it's understandable that the you know the kind of the left hates someone like venger it's but at this point you're getting into this territory where normal rational middle of the road people who it's like the griller meme i just won a game damn it when you're attacking those kinds of people you know when you're purity spiraling those kinds of people you're setting yourself up for a defeat. So I'm, you know, which is, well, it's even funnier because you begin spiraling people that actually agree with you on a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Not, not necessarily that Steven Chenault does, but they've done it to other people. Like mm-hmm. when they threw Zach S under the bus, Zach S actually agrees with them on most of their bull crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even, yeah, I'm God, it's it's gotten so ridiculous I, to the point where I'm I'm almost wishing and I know that doing this would completely destroy the show that I've built up here. Uh, but sometimes I just wish like the Internet would not work one day. You know, honestly, the best thing that can happen to people is a mass realization of social media is cancer. Yeah. Whatever it may have started out as, it is far beyond that now. Yeah, we need, so. we need to go back to, like, I don't know, GeoCities sites and stuff like that, where it's just small groups of people. That's it, guys. Everybody's going back to a uh, live journal. Yep. Ugh. I don't know if I can handle that. It's like, that's almost as bad as Tumblr. Yeah. There's some really bad live journals. Like, of course, Mr. Welch's list is up on live journals. So, mm-hmm. who, by the way, another guy that I would love to see people come after because he's such a down to earth nice guy. Mm-hmm. I've never seen him get any real controversy. I'd love to see something. Oh, okay, sorry. My phone just decided to randomly go off. I was like, "What the hell? Shouldn't be." I have it on D and D. Um, but. Uh, it's uh, it's ridiculous. This whole thing has just been ridiculous. And I, honestly, if you could have picked anything to be on my end of 2022 bingo, Troll Lord Games starting the process of purging the industry was not on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. At, one of my favorite things that ended up happening around the Troll Lord controversy, um, and, and I, you know, I was posting about this in the Gilded server. There was this company, Monkey's Paw Games, that was trying to, you know, dogpile. And I just, 
essentially tagged them and said, how many books do you sell per month and how does that compare to what they sell? And that, I mean, that was an evening's worth of arguments with that one person right there. And that just goes to show that what they're really mad about is not that Trollord Games has a political stance they don't like. It's that Trollord Games is successful yeah. while not hewing to their viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, we... I went so far as calling down the Alex McCreese thunder on them because they, well, they brought him up first and I was just like, you want to bring him up? I'll bring him in. Let's do this. Thanks. I, I just, I watched it. I laughed at it. And then I saw Stephen Chenault must have been really pissed when he changed his name to, to uh, Stephen Chenault, Trollard Games, We Make Games. Mm-hmm. That's how I knew he was really upset. Yeah. Because he doesn't say He's like I said, so milk toast. Um, I really would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for the phone call to Jason Vay. <laughs> yeah. To hear what was actually said to him. Hmm. I I will be curious to see if Jason Vay's name shows up in a Troll Lord Games publication ever again. Uh, I think it will because he's primary contributor to Amazing Adventures. But if he so much as breathes the wrong way, he won't. Yeah. I think he's he probably got threatened with some pretty severe sanctions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they and Stephen Chenault did clarify that because he puts them in his byline, that's why he's not allowed to say whatever he wants. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, and it's it, this is something that happens in the comic book industry too. Um, when you have a company's name in your Twitter bio you are a de facto representative of that company. So when someone like the worst example of this is Dan slot, Dan slot is like a garbage pit of a human being on multiple levels, but he's also one of Marvel's go-to writers for whatever reason, because he's a terrible friggin' writer, but he just bullies people on Twitter, and that's a lot of people's perception of Marvel, is that, oh, that Dan Slott guy wrote that Spider-Man book? I don't want to read it. He's a douchebag. And you can't have people seeing a name in your book and going, I'm not going to buy this because this guy is an asshole. That's not yep. how you sell books. Well, you know, Dan Slott... He's been called out before by industry pros for yeah. being lazy. He's been called out before for being slobbish. He's really not a good person. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it, it's like uh, Ama Samanat's in the same camp. Yeah. Uh, terrible human being. Mm-hmm. But because Marvel doesn't have the brains to be like, if you're going to put us in your byline, you're not allowed to call people Nazis and all the other crap they do. <laughs> Those people are rampant. Yeah, and in, in, in the industry, same thing with video game companies. Certain video game companies, uh, CD Projekt Red got into trouble back a couple of years ago because a bunch of people that worked for the American side were making really bad comments on Twitter. Hmm. And CD Projekt Red came down on CD Projekt Red America and was like, "Cut out, we're done." And they were like, "Oh, well, but then we're free speech," and they're like, "We don't give a rat's ass. <laughs> we're Polish." If they're going to claim to, <laughs> well, not just that. If we're, they're going to work for us, they're going to act like professionals. Yeah. Or they're going to advertise they work for us. They're going to act like professionals. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
they had to put a damper on that and they've since reversed they've reversed trends on that and stuff but but it's they took they were one of the few companies at the time that were taking a stand against it in the entertainment industry we were like no hmm. I'll tell you another another thing I didn't have my bingo card was Tom Cruise being the face of professional Hollywood. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. That dude's part of a religion that routinely runs people's lives. Yeah. Yeah, I've got I've got real complex thoughts on the the Top Gun Maverick Tom Cruise thing cuz I try to separate the art from the artist as much as I possibly can. But I know just too much about what people have done on behalf of Tom Cruise and what Tom Cruise has demanded of people and what the people that Tom Cruise associates with have done to other people. It it makes it really uncomfortable for me to like watch Tom Cruise movies now, even though like I try to separate the art from the artist. But I mean, people you mean like, like the benefits from slave labor. Yeah. I, I, but like I did not have it on my bingo card that he was going to be the most professional actor of 2022. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't. Yeah. Like, I don't watch a ton of Tom Cruise stuff. Like, in general, I just don't. Mm-hmm. But uh, short the Mission Impossible movies because I'm just a sucker for spy thrillers. Yeah. I mean, I was a Bond fan until that last abortion. Oh God. I I refuse to call that a movie. I refuse. Oh. They had two. They had two terrible swings and misses after freaking Skyfall. Skyfall was penultimately beautiful movie, mm-hmm. and then Spectre, and then the, what's the last one? No time to die. No time to die. I already forgot the name of it. So bad. We're so terrible. Mm-hmm. Or as I call No Time to Die, time to go to the bathroom because I have a rule of I will not go to the bathroom during a movie. I have broken that rule twice. Once was during No Time to Die. The other time was during The Rise of Skywalker. Well, I'm surprised you decided I'm going to go to the car and leave. (laughs) (laughs) That movie was so bad. If I had driven, I would have... uh... Oh, that was so bad. That movie was awful. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shadow, you make a good point there. Uh, the, I I don't know as much as you know, because I have not been a private investigator, but I, I, I get the feeling that several of these people have not just skeletons in their closet, but, you know, like Goliath skeletons in their closet. So, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying there. The problem with Tom Cruise is... I know a lot of that stuff now. Yeah, I'm perfectly happy in my ignorance. Thank you. Yeah. I don't, that, that's my thing. I don't know what, uh, you know, like Tom Hanks has going on behind closed doors. I don't care to know. Something tells me I wouldn't see him the same way ever again. But unfortunately, with, with Tom Cruise, I know. And I can't put that back in the bottle. It's like you'll never watch a movie that starts with the Weinstein uh, logo the same way ever again. Mm -hmm. You can't. Right. Because you know where all the money comes from and the crap. Mm -hmm. And they kind of, oh. 
Cats are attacking boxes. <laughs> As they often do. In this house, all the time. But it's just like, you can't... You, sometimes you can separate the art from the art. Sometimes it's best not to know. Yeah. You know, and then you got good guy. You do have good guys in Hollywood. I mean, Keanu Reeves is an authentically good guy. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot, a lot... There are a lot, a lot of terrible, terrible people mm-hmm. in, in the entertainment industry. Yeah. See, I would love... The, the one person I'd love to see his skeletons get out of the closet would be Mark Ruffalo. Because he acts <laughs> yes. like he's better than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, the, him it, and uh, him and George Takai. Yes, and some of George Takai's skeletons are starting to come out of that closet, like back the Diddle's kids. Yeah, supposedly, <laughs> supposedly, Diddle's kids wouldn't shock me. But yeah, there, and this is a weird topic that I didn't expect us to be on. But there, there are two kinds of people who. I do like to see the skeletons come out on one of them. It's it's the people like Mark Ruffalo who are. Um, yeah, they, they act holier than thou. They're they're so high and mighty about their lofty ideals. Um, those kinds of people, I think everyone likes to see them get knocked down a peg. The other kind, though, and this is just me being a contrarian. Because you mentioned Keanu Reeves. The the people who the internet's like, oh, they're so great. Those kinds of people. I like to see those kinds of people get knocked out of peg, too. I don't think Keanu Reeves is hiding anything. I don't know. But um, whenever people are like, oh, this person's perfect, I generally just get super upset. I'm just like, stop talking about them. I don't care. Back at Shadow only said allegedly because I don't need a defamation complaint from him. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing with him would surprise me. Yeah. Uh, But no, like, um, it's really funny that, like, the best people in Hollywood, like uh, Paul Giamatti, going back to work as a, uh, as Giamatti or one of the, him or a Bushimi, can't remember, might have been Bushimi, went to work as a on a fire truck right after nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Like that was Steve months. Bushimi. Yeah, it was Bushimi. Couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. Went back to work on a fire truck after six for six months after nine eleven because reasons, and never said a word about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's, there are good people that work in Hollywood. A lot of them have left Hollywood. Yeah. Like, Chris Hemsworth won't live in Hollywood. He absolutely said flat out he won't live there because it's so fake. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are obviously good people there, but I'm like you. Some of them get talked about like they walk on water, and I'm like, yeah, Keanu Reeves is a good guy, but I'm sure he's done bad things. Mm. He was young and stupid one time. Even, and this is, like, I even feel bad saying this myself. I I live in Tennessee. I am a country music fan. I don't need to hear about how Dolly Parton is the best person that's ever lived anymore. I get it. I am pretty sure she walks on water. She might, but it's <laughs> one of those things where I just get tired of hearing about the same people over and over again. Yeah, you. I get tired of hearing about it too. It's like, 
I get it. You know, like uh, they started that with Weird Al recently. Yeah. Like the dude graduated high school at 16, went to college, did it. And everyone's like, oh, man, he, he's never done drugs. He's never been caught in scandals or anything. And I was like, be more, more like him. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, he has bad things that have happened in his past. He didn't talk about like the fact that both of his parents died of carbon monoxide poisoning in their home. Mm. Like people forget that shit. Yeah. Because if you have a good life doesn't mean that bad things haven't happened around you. Right. Who knows what other kind of tomfoolery he's gotten himself into over the years. Yeah. That may not be necessarily like illegal or really bad, but for him would be like a terrible look. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people forget about the whole Coolio and uh, Amish Paradise thing. Yep. That's that's the reason now he has to get permission directly from the artist. Mm-hmm. That's his thing. He won't do it if he doesn't get permission. Yes. But yeah, to, to kind of put a bow on this and then get into the there's one final question I have for you. Um, I, I think it's best practice for everyone to just treat your favorite musician, actor, uh, author as a person that makes something you like and nothing more. Not a bad policy. Just trust uh Never meet your heroes. Yeah. There's a reason they tell you that. Your heroes will always turn to, uh, tend to let you down. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of my heroes are dead. Yep. And, and recognize that these people are, they're still people. And people, uh, people are people. People are not perfect. They, they do things uh, that you don't like. Every person has done something terrible in their life. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. You know what? Uh, just as a side note, my my hero, like my all-time greatest hero, people don't know much about him, yet he was a two-time president of Baton College, a governor of Maine, blah, blah, blah. And that's Joshua Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. And if you ever look into who Joshua Chamberlain really was, Joshua Chamberlain should be a hero for every blue-blooded American that's ever walked in on her. Mm-hmm. Wounded seven times, mortally three times, still fought through the entire Civil War, attaining the rank of Major General. And uh, went on to become the governor of Maine twice, president of Bowden College, uh, vicariously defended the, the war as a War to free slaves and to free black people from being enslaved. It was, he was a pretty epic person. Hmm. Absolutely. Cool. Well, to wrap things up here, I do have my final question that everyone gets asked when they come on the show. You probably know what to expect here. The answer to this question can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. Uh, but if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Uh, that's a toughie-toughie for me. I'm really tempted right now to say Kant is an ass-grabbing fool. <laughs> because I hate Immanuel Kant. And I don't think he understood human nature. Hating Immanuel Kant is a good thing in my mind. So, yeah, we were... Um, he was an ass-grabbing fool who didn't understand natural rights at all. Yeah. 
and the idea that government grants rights instead of protects rights and that mankind is in a natural state of war at all times is the most idiotic political stance to ever have graced humankind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will. I would proudly wear that shirt with you. Uh, I had to study Kant pretty heavily in my uh, political philosophy class, uh, political thinking class, and we had quite a few discussions about him and uh, Locke. Mm-hmm. So I'm firmly a Lockean conservative. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely lean more towards the, the Locke side of things. The, the great divide in American politics is Hamiltonianism versus Jeffersonianism, and I fall firmly on the Jeffersonian side. I am very much a Jeffersonian classical liberal where it comes down to it. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to natural rights, I'm absolutely a Lockean. Yep. Absolutely. Cool. Well, uh, that is going to do it for the show tonight. Shauner, I'm sorry you just got here, uh, but you know, we, we are at our time here. Um, hopefully you go back and watch it. Cause I feel like we had a great conversation here tonight. Uh, but next week guys, uh, I will be joined again by a first time guest uh, that you guys should all be familiar with uh, because next week on Rolling Bones, Connell, the cigar DM will be joining me and we will be talking all about uh, running D and D professionally. We'll be talking about uh, (laughs) the shenanigans that occur on the Friday night chill stream, which both of us have been on. Uh, It'll be a ton of fun. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. We'll talk a lot about Nashville because I live here now and he lived here in the past. So, yeah. Great conversation next week with Connell, the Cigar DM. It'll be uh, it'll be fun. I hope you guys will come out. And until then, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you guys next time.